You are listening to the Best in Wealth Podcast, episode number 238. This is the Best in Wealth Podcast, a show for successful family stewards who want real answers about wealth and investing so we can feel secure about our family's future. At the Best in Wealth Podcast, we think differently about wealth and investing, and you should too. Well, hello everyone. My name is Scott Wellens. I am your host of the Best in Wealth Podcast. This is a show dedicated to helping real people that is you, my friend, build real wealth so together we can take family stewardship to the next level. I'm a fiduciary, a fee-only certified financial planner, educator, and wealth advisor. And today's episode is how often should you look at your investments? But before we get to the topic of the day, first, I wanted to thank you. If you're a first-time listener, thank you. If you're a long-time listener, and please, if you like the podcast, Give this podcast a review at the Purple Podcast Apple app. That would be much appreciated or wherever you listen to your podcast or this podcast. Second, I wanted to apologize. I missed two weeks ago. I had end of the year stuff and there's a lot of things when you own a financial advisory company that need to be completed by the end of the year. And so clients first had to take care of all of that plus the holidays. First time in at least two years that I missed an episode. I apologize about that. But here I am this week. Today is January 12th. This podcast will come out next Friday. But doing the podcast, and it is a blizzard outside here in Milwaukee. We got six inches on Tuesday, three inches on Thursday, might get 10 inches today. But you know what? I made my way to the studio to make sure I got this podcast recorded and done in time so that the editors can edit and the show notes can be done and blah, blah, blah. If you want to see any of those show notes, go to bestinwealth.com, episode number 238. Last thing I wanted to tell you was that because it's a new year, me, I am on a new health and exercise program, and it kicks off the first month doing the Whole30 program. The Whole30 program, I won't get in too many details. It's not a program that you do the entire year. It's kind of a detox program that you do just the first month of the year or maybe different times throughout the year, but not on a consistent basis because there's not a whole lot you can eat or drink. It's kind of a nuts, not even peanuts and berries and vegetables and meat kind of diet and eggs. So that's cool. But there's one particular rule. There's a lot of rules in the plan, but there's one rule that states that once you get on that scale on January 1st, we want that initial weight. And let me tell you, Mine wasn't looking so good. I wish my diet and exercise consistency and discipline was the same, is the same as my investment consistency and discipline. But you know what? I'm a work in progress. We're all a work in progress. But there is a rule. Once you get on that scale on January 1st, you don't get back on that scale until the end of the month. This program does not allow you to get on the scale every day or every week. You get on the scale at the beginning of the month. You get on the scale at the end of the month. That is it. Let's get to the topic of the day. All right, here we go. How often should you look at your investments? And I'm going to tell you right now, 
give this whole podcast away that it's going to depend for you. But after this podcast, you're going to be able to ask yourself or tell yourself or have a little discussion with yourself and really get real on how often you should be looking at your investments. And then you're going to come to a decision because I can't force you into anything. But this podcast will really get you to think if you have anxiety around looking at your investments too much. All right. How often should you look at your investments? And how often do other people look at their investments? Well, I have clients, I have prospects that are all over the board. When prospects come in day one, I ask them, how often do you look at your investments? And sometimes I look at them every day. Some of them once a week, some once a month, some once a quarter, some once a year, some never. Inevitably, the ones that tell me that they never look at it or rarely look at it or only once a year, they say that with some sort of guilt, thinking that they should be looking at their investments more because that would make them a smarter investor, potentially make some changes, et cetera, I guess. Because I ask when a client says, well, I only look at my investments once a year, but I really should be looking at them more. I ask them why. And they don't really have an answer. And I know everybody listening to this podcast You guys are all over the place. Some of you have your little app that you're looking at five times a day. Other people haven't looked for six or seven or 10 years. We are all over the board. And to help you figure out how often you should look at your investments, I want to talk through a couple of things. Because really, if you have a really good, solid investment policy statement, and you know you need to take a disciplined approach, and you're not changing your investments every week because we know that all the data and all the science suggests that it's not a good idea. So if you have a good investment policy statement, if you have a good certified financial planner, a certified financial analyst managing your investments for you, or you have a 401k that you're in a targeted date retirement fund where there's not going to be a lot of movement. Now, there is movement that is happening but through a disciplined approach. If you're not in charge of it and you trust the approach, how often should you be looking? If you're a stock picker, you ought to be looking every single day and trying to figure out who's got the crystal ball so you can know what to do next. And I highly suggest that you switch your investment philosophy because on average, it just doesn't work. But I digress. How often should you look at your statement? Let's first talk about tennis. Scott, tennis, why tennis? Well, because I'm going to try and build up some statistics for you, for you to think about. And I don't play tennis. You know, I've played five or six times in my life. If I tried to play right now, I would inevitably probably pull a hamstring or something like that. I am 52 years old now. But I recently was doing a bunch of research on just unpacking an actual statement And when you look at your year-end statement and you see your returns, you try and create some meaning behind it, I fell upon tennis, a game I don't watch or play. However, I do watch ESPN. I see highlights. I know friends that like tennis. So I know the tennis names, like the best names. So I started doing some research on a guy named Roger Federer, tennis player for many, many years. And when I do my website research in a lot of different research websites or different websites that I went to, 
Roger was listed as one of the top three tennis players of all time. Now, if you're a tennis player listening to this podcast, you might say, no way, he might be the top five or the top 10, but not the top three. Who cares? Top 10. And if you think about that for a second, that is crazy. That is elite. Whether you're top 10, top five, top three, or number one, you are elite. There are millions and millions and millions of tennis participants every single year. And millions of those participants are trying to get better. They start young, take tennis lessons, eventually get on the high school team, go to regional, sectional, state, get a division one scholarship, Try and be the best collegiate tennis player possible. Get to the pro level. And you know what then? You try and become an elite player, a top 10 player, or a top three player of all time. Roger did it among millions and millions of tennis players. Let me list a couple of his accolades that I found on Wikipedia. Federer won 20 Grand Slam men's singles titles, the third most of all time. Federer is the only male player to win five consecutive U.S. Open titles and in the process win 40 consecutive matches at the U.S. Open. He's the second male player to reach the French Open and Wimbledon finals in the same year for four consecutive years. He's the only male player to appear in at least one Grand Slam semifinal for 18 consecutive years. He won eight Wimbledon titles. The list goes on and on. He is one of the best to ever play the game. Can we at least agree on that? For those that don't even play tennis, he is a one of the best, top three, top five, whatever, one of the best. All right, let's shift for a second. Let's talk about the S&P 500. Now, the S&P 500 is not an investment, although you can invest in an ETF or an index funds that replicates the S&P 500, but the S&P 500 has had an amazing track record. The S&P 500, which is the average of the largest 500 companies, up a little over 26% last year, 2023 down about 19%. It's all over the place, but on average, the return is a little over 10% a year if we go back to as long as we have data, which is in the 1920s. What does 10% return even mean though? Like, what does that mean to my money? Well, let's compare it to something. Let's compare the S&P 500 to a good high yield savings account right now. A 10% return means that every seven years, your money will double. Yes, double. If you have a million dollars in your investments right now and you actually earned, and I'm not saying the S&P 500 will do that for you in the next 10 years. I'm just talking about the average return. I'm not talking about a specific investment, but if your investments did average 10% a year, seven years later, that $1 million would be $2 million. That's a pretty great investment. The S&P 500 has a phenomenal track record. And to put that into perspective, using the rule of 72 in a high-yield savings account, and the rule of 72 simply means divide 72 into your interest rate, and that's the number of years it's going to take for your money to double. So if you have your money at a high-yield savings account right now that's probably earning around 4.5%, 
which is awesome, which is great. I hope your emergency fund is there. I hope if you're saving for something short term, you got your money there. But while the S&P 500 or an investment returning 10% per year doubles every seven years at 10%, that 4.5% will take you over 16 years to double. That's why when we have a good investment policy statement, we need to be invested in things that are going to grow a little bit faster than even a high-yield savings account. We want to keep up with inflation and then some so we can eventually reach financial freedom. 10% per year is awesome. It's unbelievable. That 10% per year, the S&P 500, any other individual investor, mutual fund, exchange-traded fund, separately managed account, the list goes on, has a very difficult time beating the S&P 500, all things being equal. Because our emotions get in the way, costs get in the way, et cetera, et cetera. All of that research is located at the center for research on security prices down at the University of Chicago. It's all there. I'm not making stuff up. 10% is awesome. Do we strive here at Fortress to do better than 10 on an all-stock portfolio? You better believe it. And there's different ways to tilt the portfolio to do it. But we still take a disciplined approach. So make no mistake, 10% is great. The S&P 500 has had a phenomenal run. Now, there are years the S&P 500 have not had a phenomenal run. There are There's a decade, the lost decade between 2009 that that million dollars ended up being 900,000. That's why we diversify. But for simplicity, we're going to use the S&P 500. And what are we going to do? We're going to go back to Roger. We're going to go back to one of the greatest tennis players of all time. I think we can agree on that. But what I want to break down is Roger's, you know, when you're playing tennis, each time someone serves the ball, you're playing for a point, one point. And if you get enough points, you win a set. And if you win enough sets, you win a match. That's the way tennis works. You serve for a point, you get enough points, you win a set, you win enough sets, you win a match. Make sense? Okay, Roger. One of the greatest tennis players of all time. Every single time Roger played for a point, he won that point 54% of the time. Yes. 54% of the time, a little bit more than a coin flip. That's it. So if Roger's in a tennis match next week and you're looking at every single point Roger is a part of, he's only winning 54% of those points. Almost half of the time when you're watching Roger, he's losing the point. He's losing. This is one of the greatest tennis players to ever play the game. Did I mention that yet? He loses. Almost half of the points, but there's more because he's winning over half of the points. Not a lot over, but over. And over time, point after point after point after point, you're going to win more sets than you would if you were on the other end of that 50, the other end of the coin flip where you were getting less than 50%. So if we look at Roger's sets, remember, we play tennis. We score points. You get enough points against an opponent, you win a set. You win enough sets, you win a match. So we're just right here trying to win one set. Roger wins 54% of his points. However, he wins 75% of his sets. Three out of every four. Now we're really building on something, aren't we? 
Now we can kind of see that Roger has won 75% of his sets. Three out of every sets he plays, he wins. Not all the points in the set. In fact, only a little over half of them, but that's all it takes. That's all it takes to win 75% of the sets. So if we're watching Roger every point, he's looking pretty average. If we watch just the sets, we just look at the sets. Just look at the sets when they're done. He looks a heck of a lot better. 75% of victories on sets versus 54% of points. But when you win a set, you're still playing that same opponent. It ain't over. You got to win a certain number of sets in order to win the match, to go on to the next round, and eventually win all those Wimbledons and U.S. Opens and all the stuff that I talked about, or even qualify for some of these best tournaments in the world. How many matches has Roger won? He's won 54% of the points, 75% of the sets, and 81% of every match he played. Every time he faced an opponent, he won eight out of every 10. And you know what that made him? One of the best three tennis players of all time. He didn't win every match. He won a lot of them. He didn't win every set. He won a lot of them. He didn't win every point. Just a little over half of them. One of the greatest tennis players of all time. Let's go back to the S&P 500, since I'm running out of time here. But as you can see, this is big stuff. The S&P 500, we'll call it, plays a game every day the stock market is open. How often is the S&P 500 positive and how often are they negative? A positive result we'll call a win. A negative return at the end of the day we'll call a loss. Well, if we're looking at the stock market every day, the S&P 500, the S&P 500 is positive 53% of the days and negative 47%. So for those that look at the stock market every single day, you're going to be disappointed almost half of the time. But 53% of the time, the stock market's up. Whoa, super close to Roger. Roger only won 54% of the points, every single point. The S&P 500 wins almost the exact number of days. 53%. But if we don't look every day, we won't know what's going on every day. Maybe we just look at our statements every quarter. I look at your statement every quarter, kind of like Roger playing a set. There's a bunch of points throughout, a bunch of days in the market, a bunch of points, however you want to call it, about 90 of them. And then you get to the end of the quarter. And the end of the quarter, the S&P 500 has been positive 71% of the time. Going back to the 1930s. Whoa, Roger Federer won 75% of his sets. The S&P 500 has won 71% of its quarters. We look every quarter, we're looking a whole lot better than when we look every day. And finally, what about once a year? What about those that are looking at their statements once a year? We look at years kind of like matches for Roger. Roger only won 54% of the points, 75% of the sets, but 81% of the matches. The S&P 500 only wins 53% of the days, but 71% of quarters and 78% of years. Almost the same as Roger. If you only look at your statement once a year, on average, eight out of every 10 times, you're positive. That's why you end up with a 10% return, a phenomenal average rate of 10%. Now, you don't get 10% every year, I guarantee you that, just like Roger lost many matches as well. And the stock market is completely erratic 
S&P 500, completely erratic, up 26% last year, down 18. That's a crazy portfolio. That's not the portfolio we're recommending. All we're trying to tell you is that when you look at your statement every day, you're disappointed almost half of the time. If you look at your statement only once a quarter, now you're only disappointed 25% of the time. And if you look at your statement every year, well, now you're only disappointed 22% of the time. Would you rather be disappointed 47% of the time or 22% of the time? Because here's the thing. When our portfolios are going up, it does feel good. But all this research has to do with when our portfolios are doing bad, doing bad feels twice as bad as that good feeling when they're doing good. And when we have too much anxiety, we want to make a change when change can disrupt everything. So how many times should you look at your portfolio? Well, hey, let's go back to my weight and my plan. I can only look at that scale at the end of the month. I am forced not to look at it throughout the days because on any given day, my weight's going to fluctuate five or six pounds and I'm going to be disappointed a lot of the time and I'm going to have anxiety. But if I don't look at the scale every day or every week, but only every month, I'm most likely going to be happy. The same is with your portfolio. If you're looking at your investments every day, and you don't phase whether it's up or down. If it doesn't affect you one single bit, go for it. Keep looking at that statement every day. But if you have anxiety, if you think about making change and you're looking at this statement every day, I'm telling you right now, almost half of the time, you're gonna be disappointed. Anxiety is gonna come on half of your days. Do you wanna live your life like that? I sure don't. Just like I don't wanna dissect every one of Roger Federer's points when at the end of the day, he's one of the best of all time. What do I want for you as a family steward to be one of the best investors of all time? And how do you do that? Through discipline. So, if you can't stay disciplined, if you need to make movement and changes because you're looking at your statement every day, you ought to look deep inside yourself and ask yourself, why am I doing this? Why am I driving myself crazy? And only start looking at your investments. If you're doing it every day, switch it to every month. If you're doing it every month, switch it to every quarter. If you're doing it every quarter and you're still getting stressed, switch it to every year. And if you're gonna wait longer than a year, that's cool too. It doesn't make you a bad investor. That's why I can't tell you how often you should look at your investments, but you need to ask yourself, do I have anxiety when I'm looking at my investments too often? And if you are, stop looking so much. Because if you have a good certified financial planner, certified financial analyst looking at your investments and performing your investment policy statement and doing all the things they need to do, why are you worrying about it? That's all the time I have, my friends. I hope you have a great, great week. I'll see you on the flip side. Bye-bye. The Best in Wealth Podcast is hosted by Scott Wellens. Scott Wellens is the principal of Fortress Planning Group. Fortress Planning Group is a registered investment advisory firm regulated by U.S. Securities and Exchange Committee in accordance and compliance with securities laws and regulations. Fortress Planning Group does not offer to render personalized investment or tax advice to the Best in Wealth Podcast. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, investment, tax, or legal advice.